Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Oh, several years ago, I had put on the screen, and I was going to do it this morning, but it'll take a little more time, an auto-stereogram. An auto-stereogram. When, when I first read the word, although I had been... Uh, musing over them. I didn't know that was what it was called. Anybody here, anybody here familiar with the term auto stereogram? Okay, there you go. See, most, I didn't see one hand hardly if I saw one. They are the things you stare at, that they print them on purpose so that there's depth perception. You know, like in some of them, one of my favorite one has eagles flying. Another one has whales swimming. One of them has a choir in it. Uh, and all sorts of things. Now you know what I'm talking about? Those things you stare at and you finally, you sort of blur your vision and you look into it. You know, you guys are still staring at me like you're confused. If anybody knows what I'm talking about, one of those things, come on, raise your hand and I'll quit describing. Okay, there we go. See, everybody's got that. So we look into it, but here's what they didn't discover until the late 1950s. They thought depth perception was an optical function. In other words, our eye, our lens does it, but it's not. They discovered that depth perception is a complex sequence of neurological functions. The ability to see depth happens here, not here. I just, when I, when I read that, it just really began to resonate so deeply about our spiritual eyes and spiritual perceptions. Because as we look at these things, I've already mentioned here this morning, as we, as we look at the substance of Scripture, as we look at the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, His ascension, all of the words we're singing, and it's like, you know, I not, how does that make sense? Well, it's a function that's not perceived here, but one that's perceived here in our heart and spirit. God's Word says that when after the resurrection, listen to me please, the Holy Spirit would be unleashed. Jesus would tell that story in the night that he was arrested. He said, guys, I, I want you to know that you're about to view my leaving and my death as a terminal reality, but I want you to know it's just a transition. Beloved, how many are rejoicing today to know that Easter is the declaration of the force of God showing up in your life and for every situation that you would look and say, there's no way forward, there's no path, there's no way out of this situation. It's a terminal reality. God says, I'd want you not to forget Easter. Paul would use that same statement uh, of, of logic when he was in prison and he would said, I want you to remember Jesus Christ, son of David, risen from the dead. And the gospel that I preach, watch this. He said, I may be in chains, but the word of God is never in chains. He says, I need you to see this. I need you to get this. I need you to understand it. Because beloved, here's what happened. At the crucifixion, there was the end of an old covenant where the word of God would be written on lifeless stones. But the word of God declared by the prophet in the Old Testament before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ essentially says, I want you to know after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the word of God will no longer be written on stones and pages and inanimate objects. The word of God is going to be written on your heart. 
I want to remind us again that as we see and try to get a depth perception, you could go to Luke chapter 24, where on the day of the resurrection, the first day of the week, Scripture tells us that as two men were walking down the road to Emmaus, it said they suddenly were attended to by none other than the resurrected Savior himself, but their eyes could not perceive. They didn't have the depth perception. And so he begins to walk with them. And as he walks with them, he begins to unpack the truth about himself, starting, it says, with Moses and the prophets. That is, he went throughout Old Testament Scripture, and he's rattling off to these two disciples who don't know what's happening right now. When, they, when he asks them what's going on, he says, are you the only person in Jerusalem around that doesn't know what happened? And they made this statement, the one in whom we had placed our hope is dead. The one in whom we had placed our hope was is dead. And unwittingly, Jesus begins saying, I'm going to help you see. He walked with them. They walked with them to the destination, and they asked him to just come a little further, and so he did. And he joins them in a room, and it says, as he broke the bread, very much reflecting of that last supper, this meal that we've celebrated here today. It says, as he broke the bread and he poured the wine, they recognized him for he, for he was. They returned. They began announcing, we've seen the Savior, but here's the language of perception. They said, didn't our heart burn within us as he spoke. They did not say, didn't it make absolutely logical and historical sequential sense about the synchrony of all of the pieces of scripture from the Old Testament, how they harmonize into a wonderful systematic theology that we were able to perceive while we walked down the dirt road. That is not what they said. They said, beyond our mind, as he began to speak of incomprehensible things that would otherwise be unimaginable, that led right up to the story of the death, his death, and in his resurrection, they couldn't conceive of it until their heart began to burn within them, summoning to the possibility, watch please, that there was a cognitive reality that was so far removed from plausibility, they couldn't remotely consider it. And that being, he has been resurrected from the dead. You don't get that here. You get it here. And so very much with intentionality this morning, we come to this gathering and from the beginning, as I spoke with Pastor Rhea, my wife, and the pastoral staff, I said, this Easter above all else, I want us to hammer away on encounter. We're gonna focus more than we've ever focused on summoning the presence of God to be enthroned in the room because it's not me who will leave this place and walk with you. It is Him. It's Him that will leave and walk with you down that dirt road of implausibility, of impossibility, of imperceptibility. It's Him that will walk and enter into the circumstances of your life and said, let me frame my reality in the context of your circumstances. That's our resurrected Savior. That's the, the joy that burns in our heart and the tears that fill our eyes. I tell people often, I preach to the one, the one sitting watching online, the one in this room this morning, and I want to test, testify to you, and please don't hear me being self-adulating. I am not ignorant or unlearned, nor am I of the inability to think critically. I can think well. 
But I am so glad that when I've exhausted every mental and cerebral effort, I can come into the presence of the Lord. And I said, Lord, I need you to take me to a place beyond my circumstances because as I view them, they're terminal. And like those people on the road to Emmaus, that are you the only one that's unaware that hope has left us? And the Savior shows up and says, you don't understand, boys. What you see as terminal is only a transition. Just hang on. Can I tell you today, if you're sitting in a situation that appears to be terminal, there's a resurrected Savior who will show up and walk with you in your life and say, it's just a transition. It's just a transition. Go ahead. You can give the Lord praise for that right there. Thank Him. You're not clapping to a preacher. You're clapping. You're giving praise for the power of the Word of God. Depth perception is a complex neurological sequence. And likewise, I would say seeing into the depth and reality of the scenarios of what life would afford us and the possibility of a Savior that came to redeem us, ransom us, save us. It's not optical. It's a complex process of engaging the Spirit to see beyond the moment. This morning, I'm, we're going to finish this and do something again different for Easter. In a moment, I'm going to invite Mary Magdalene out to the stage, but I'm going to tell you about Mary Magdalene just for a minute. Mary Magdalene, one of the disciples of Jesus, we could go into stories and to the misgivings of her and the misteachings about her, but I don't have time to do that. But it's safe to say that she would be the first to discover the Savior was alive. That is uncontested. It's also safe to say that in the Near, East, East, Near Eastern ancient world, women were slightly above a possession or a commodity. And the fact that God would reach in and through a woman to first reveal himself makes a statement in and of itself that I love to explore, but that's not the one we're chasing this morning. As you come to the close of chapter 19 in the opening part of chapter 20, you discover it's resurrection morning. It's the first day of the week and she's making her way to the garden tombs. Some renderings would say there may have been others. They were going to put more spices, perhaps on the body. There's, all those things are said. But she gets there to discover that the stone has been rolled away, and she looks inside, and the Savior is not there. She runs back and tells John and Peter that his body is gone, and they come running to the tomb. As they come running to the tomb, it's there that we pick up that. In this passage of Scripture, in this passage of Scripture, there are four or five terms used for see. Now, I've already established the reality that what we're dealing with here this morning is not just optical reality, but I'm going to ask you the question, what do you see? Now, follow me as we move through this quickly. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb while it was still dark, and she saw. That first word for saw here, there's four. It means just, I see something, like I see that, that, that choir riser. I see that communion tray. Uh, I see that seat right there. Um, Amanda, I see your great white tennis shoes right there. I see them. That's all. I just see them. Doesn't mean anything. I just plain see. That's all. She saw that the stone had been already taken away from the tomb, and so she ran, came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John, by the way. I love the way how he refers to himself. Isn't that great? He reminds us two or three different times that as he writes, he's the writer of this gospel. He said, came to Peter and the one disciple that Jesus loved. That's me. 
Anybody ever heard someone talk about themselves in third person? Hi, I'm Tom. Tom's the senior pastor of New Hope Church. Tom's awesome. Tom talks really fast, so you have to listen fast. Tom, and I go, Tom, Tom drives an old pickup truck. How many know if you talk to somebody that talks about themselves in third person, pretty soon it gets pretty weird, right? Real fast. But I love how he does that. He says, came to Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> I love that. And said, they've taken away our Lord out of the tomb and we do not know. So the next verses said that they ran and it said, and John bothers to mention as well that, by the way, I outran Peter because he was older. Can you believe that God let some of these guys write their stuff in his word? How many know if he let them get by, there's hope for you and me? Somebody say amen. Okay, good deal. Verse 5, it says, they get there, and stooping, they looked in. He saw, there saw again, it's that same word. They just, they see. They just see it. They see the tomb. And Simon Peter also came following him and entered to the tomb, and he saw. Now, that's a different word. That word saw means to draw a theory. They saw the tomb was empty, but then Peter begins to look. And he begins to draw some conclusions or maybe make some estimations because his the description goes a little farther. And he saw the linen wrappings, the face cloth had been on the head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And through the years, having taught now hundreds of sermons on the resurrection narrative, I love talking about what preachers love to talk about there, that the body wrappings are in one place, the head wrappings in another, which means that he got set free from the body wrappings. He stood up and started unwrapping that in another place. Can you imagine what he was thinking right about then? No, I can't. No, neither can you, but I love it. But anyway, Peter begins to give us more details, so he begins to draw, who knows, what some sort of theater. We don't know what it is. So the other disciple who had come, first come to the tomb and then also entered, he saw, watch, and he didn't just have a theory. This word, third word here, means to take a step towards belief. In other words, I'm seeing something. I'm not just seeing that table. Oh, here's a good one. I'm not just seeing that communion table. I don't just have a conclusion about the elements that are in those trays, but I'm beginning to take a step that what's there may somehow impact my life. I'm not sure how, but that's my next step. Something else happens. It says, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, so the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary, verse 11, but Mary was standing outside the tomb and weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. I'm gonna invite Mary Magdalene out here right now. And I want you to allow this song to get you inside the fact that this resurrection, the way that God frames the resurrection is by starting with one person in their deepest point of grief and pain. Last year, two years ago when we did the Christmas uh, Easter production behind the door, these two songs were added to it. Because this song was sung the night that Jesus was crucified. After he was crucified, he was already in the tomb, and they're reflecting on what's going to happen now. The hope of the world had died before our eyes, and the one in whom we had placed all of our hope, what happens next? It is my prayer and our prayer that this song provides you with encounter to know that there's a God right on the edge of your life that understands your moments of deepest grief, 
and deepest pain. You can bring them here this morning. Let's listen. This is not what I hoped, but it's what I've been handed. Not where I thought I'd be, but here I am standing. I must wait on you, Lord, and just stand still. I heard the words that you said. Now I have to believe them. My next step is faith, but it's not what I'm seeing. But I will wait on you, Lord, and just stand still. I will say to my soul, do not. Be shaken. God, love your my rock, my sure foundation. Always been there, always. We. But I wait on. But 
wait on you, Lord, and just stand still. It's that Mary that comes to the tomb, that Mary that watched her Savior die, that Mary that's convinced that everything he had promised is also gone because the bearer of the word that was given has left them. I love the language of verse 9 because it not only speaks of John and Peter, but speaks of Mary as well. It says, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. But suddenly something would cause her to leap from beyond a lack of understanding to the deepest convictions that would make her a screaming banshee, if you will, running back to the disciples saying, he is risen, our Savior is risen. When you leave verse 10 and all the way to verse 16, I doubt that more than 90 seconds to two minutes pass at the most, maybe 30. But watch what happens. Verse 10 says, so the disciples, that's John and Peter, they went away again to their own homes. Everybody picture this scenario. Try to get it in your mental, in your mind. I, I can't wait till one day I have access to a really great animator that can animate these things that pop into my brain as I read scripture, and here's one of them. You see, in the verses that follow, Mary says she steps in and she's teased two angels where the two guys were just previously didn't see them and they're sitting, not standing. To my knowledge, there's no record of angels sitting anytime they make a pronouncement. They're standing almost in regal disposition. Their whole presentation are, and, and, and sorry, if you will, charisma, that a penetrating sense of their presence is, is just regal and intimidating, but these guys are sitting. So you can ask, why did she see them and they didn't? I think the answer comes later, and we'll come back to that. But he says, she said in verse 12, she saw, that's the word theoreo. Earlier she just saw, but now a theory is being formed. We don't know what it is. Two angels in white, one sitting at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. I'll go ahead and give it away. I think they were there when John and Peter looked in. I just don't think they could see it. Hang with me. Verse 13, and they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because I, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid them. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus speaks to her, woman, why are you weeping? Here comes a key word. Whom are you seeking? You see, there's four words for saw. But this word seek is thrown in an interesting place. Because just a few verses from now, she's going to come announcing to the disciples, I have seen him. That's the fourth word, a different Greek word used for Saul in verse 18. I've seen him. But beloved, can I tell you what stands in between a theory and a deep, that word harao means I've taken it to an abiding conviction. Between a theory that she said, she drew a theory about the angels. But then she sees the Savior and he asks her the question. All of these are tied together. 
He didn't say, who did you come to see? He said, who are you seeking? You see, the difference between seers and seekers is they see things in the spirit that others will miss. John and Peter came to see. Mary came to seek. She was still in the aftermath of her hopes being dashed, but she shows up there, and she looks in, and she sees the angels. And seekers get word and revelation from God that seers will never get. And the angels look at her, what's going on with you? And all of a sudden, this gardener joins in. Remember I told you, starting at verse 10, I doubt more than 90 seconds passes. Why is that important? Because Peter and John, they look in the tomb. They say, he's not here. Something happened. Let's go. They turn and run away, and it is my conviction that I believe that they ran right by the gardener. People who only, remember those those words? People who just see, people who see and draw a theory, they'll run right by the gardener. Will you run right by him today? Or do you understand who's in the room? Do you understand the presence of our Savior here that's pulling out there beyond your mind? Something's going on. All of this syrupy religious stuff and tears being cried. I don't know that I get it. That's okay. You're not getting here. But I tell you, there's something happening here. There's something out there saying that that there's just something. There's something nagging at my soul. Something burning in my heart that doesn't make sense in my mind. And so as Mary turns and she encounters the gardener to ask the question again, I'm seeking, what have you done with my, with my Lord? And she and Jesus speaks and says, Mary. And the moment the risen Savior speaks, the moment the risen Savior speaks her name, she's aware, Rabboni, Master. She kneels, she grabs his feet, The Greek language, Jesus comforts her, you must know, but then he says, stop clinging, stop holding me. But he goes on to say, I need you to stand up. I'm I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Go tell my brothers that I'm going to their father and my father. I'll be back. I've got a delivery to make. That's something we studied a couple weeks ago. He He took captivity captive, and he had to drop it off in the presence of the father. Matter of fact, if you want to read really the end of it, read Hebrews 11, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 8 and 9 and Revelation 5. We just sang the throne room song. The veil was rent, the door swing wide. In Revelation chapter 5, Moffat's translation, Revelation 5 is a picture of what's going on in the heavenlies. But it says, John says, I I was so distraught because there was no one to open the book that was full of the promises and the will of God. And suddenly I turn, and here's what Moffat's translation says. I saw a lamb bearing the marks of being freshly slain. Our Savior appeared in the heavenlies, I believe. He came through on that Easter morning, and he said, go tell him I'll be back, but i got to make a delivery to the Father. There's the redeemed I've got to drop off. And so he does. Mary, go and tell them. Picture in your mind that she says, okay, okay, Master, I I don't know what to do. This is a massive collision of emotions. Massive collision of emotions. 
I, I, no, I don't want to let go of you. No, you were dead and now you're alive. I'm not leaving this place. I'm not moving away. But Mary, please, I will be back. You will see me again. Go and tell my brothers. Well, and it's, it's almost, I believe, okay, if you insist. And perhaps she turns and she begins to run, but she has one more question only to turn and look back. And as she does, he's already gone. Only temporarily, but he's gone. And in that moment, I want us to join Mary Magdalene for this other song and may the question that she asks of her own soul, may we ask it of our own soul here in this place today. What if the Lord is really in this place? What if it's true that he's not dead, but he's been raised? But I just watched him die, and I thought my heart could not survive. Yet now, somehow, he stood right here today. What if it's true he just called my name? If he is risen, nothing, nothing stays the same. If he was here with me and I just knelt and touched his feet, then he's alive and everything is Stand to your feet together, please. If this is you, what will I do? I can hardly speak. I don't want to move. 
If this is you, what will I say? I think that I'll just wait if God is in this place. What are you going to do? I say so often, as I, I think I've already said, hopelessly I preach to the one in the room always. I don't need to tell you that uh, water is wet, sin kills. The majority of in your room get it. But very much in the spirit of the ministry of Jesus Christ, who would constantly stop for the one on the edge of the crowd, the fringe, the marginalized, the disenfranchised. He would speak and bother to acquaint himself with their circumstances and often wanted to know their name. What will you do here today? Those of you in the room watching online, what are we going to do with the fact that there is a risen Savior? And although it may not make sense here, we can't even conceive of it. How can he know your name? How can he know my name? Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.